Good morning. Good to see all of you here this morning. Glad we can uh, worship the Lord together this morning together today. This is the sixth message in our series on transformational transitions, walking with God in seasons of change. If you have your Bibles, if you please open to the book of Proverbs, we'll be looking at chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. The season of our all-church Bible study series, um, this session is entitled, uh, Take a Step in Trust. In this session, Pastor Dan, who wrote the series, who did a, a great, really great job in putting the series together, for this particular session, Pastor Dan wrote that, that we'll be exploring what it would entail in taking steps of trust, whether those steps were risky or ordinary. And as I thought about that title, taking a step in trust, as I thought about trust, I thought about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. So we'll begin by reading that passage today. So if you please stand for the reading of God's word. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Okay, please join me in prayer. We thank you, Lord, for this time to be able to gather together to worship you, to learn more about you, to looking to our relationship with you. So we ask, Lord, that you will come and meet us, Holy Spirit, that you'll come and just fill this place with your presence, that you will use this time to help us to not only learn, but to draw us closer to you. So we commit this time to you, Lord. Pray that you'll be glorified through this time as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. When I was assigned to um, preach this uh, sermon, that went along with this session of our all-church Bible study. I remember quickly glancing at the leader's guide and just to see where the passage is and what it's about. And for some reason, um, as I was looking through this quickly, what stood out was the word risk. But uh, the session was not just about risk, I, I found out, but about trust. Trusting God in risky and ordinary uh, situations. One of the pastors last week was asking me um, something like, can you remember a time when you really had to trust God? And I said, yes. And then I explained to him what had come to mind. And I'm going to share with you in more detail than I shared with him because I think there's a lot of gaps that need to be filled if I just share what I shared with him since he knew more about the situation. But, but our family, my wife Carol and our two daughters, Natalie and Katie, and I had been missionaries since April 1988. We were sent out by, by what was then the pre-hive Evergreen Baptist Church of LA. We were missionaries for 10 years with our denomination's international mis mission ministries, living eight years in Yokohama, Japan. We had arrived in Japan on March the 3rd, 1989, and our daughters were three and one year old at the time. 
Fast forward seven years to around the end of 1996. It was about a little over a year before the end of our second four-year term. And as we would usually do, we would, Carol and I would seek the Lord regarding what he wanted for us next. We didn't want to assume what was next, but we wanted to seek him. And we wanted to come before him to ask him if he wanted us to come back for another four-year term in Japan after we finished our one-year home assignment here in L.A. And back then, I remember, as we were approaching that time, I remember thinking that this will probably be really fast. This is like a slam dunk, a no-brainer, that the Lord would want us to come back to Japan as missionaries. Because things were going really well. Ministry was going well. I was teaching, doing chapel messages, and doing outreach at Kanto Gakuin, a Japanese junior and senior high school that was founded by American Baptist missionaries like over 100 years ago. And compared to when I first started teaching at the school, now we had a team of Japanese Christian teachers and foreigner Christian teachers like me who really wanted to see the students and the teachers at the school come to know Jesus. So we wanted to just preach the gospel, share the gospel in big situations, little situations, and see many people, students and teachers, and even their parents come to know Jesus Christ. Our English department had also just hired a Japanese friend of mine as one of the English teachers, and he was actually like an evangelist at heart. So Lord was really setting up this team really well. For our chapel times, there were a number of us who would lead the chapel singing, uh, chapel singing time with contemporary Japanese worship songs. And at one point, we even formed like a worship band for one of the services. We had seen some students and teachers come to know Jesus Christ as well. My Japanese language ability was getting better. I felt that if we uh, lived in Japan another four years, if we came back for another four years, then I felt that I would certainly become fluent in Japanese. Carol and I, along with some Japanese Christian friends, had also started a home church um, that was that was doing the things that we felt the Lord wanted to see in a church. Such so things like worship, the word, prayer ministry, outreach, and eating together. And I was the pastor of this group. I thought, of course the Lord would want us to come back for another four years. For Carol, her ministry was going well too. The outreach that she and a Japanese Christian a friend of hers was doing uh, was really going well as they reached out to the Japanese kindergartner, kindergarten teachers and moms at the nearby kindergarten. Carol's ministry in counseling missionaries was going well too. It seemed like for Carol and I, we had both, in a sense, hit our stride. Of course, I thought, of course the Lord would want us to come back for another four years. Compared to our first four years in Japan, our marriage was doing really well which implied that the first four years, there were problems. But I'm not going to talk about that right now. Okay. Our daughters were doing well, too. After being in a Japanese school for the first four years, they were now at Yokohama International School. They were doing well in school, had friends, and liked living in Japan. Japan was home for them and for us. Natalie, our oldest daughter, was still the most fluent one in Japanese in our family. I thought, of course the Lord would want us to come back to Japan for another four years. 
Things were going really well. So around six months after Kale and I began seeking the Lord separately, we felt the Lord had given us his answer about whether to come back to Japan for another four years or not. And before I tell you what happened there, I want to, just on a side note, this is what we did. This is how we sought the Lord's direction for our lives. We sought the Lord by asking him for what two veteran missionaries on two separate occasions, um, unrelated times, told us, told us to do this when seeking the Lord's direction. And they both said something like, ask the Lord for his divine objectivity. We said, divine objectivity, what's that? Okay, they explained that since emotionally, we try to make a decision, we can go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth on how we feel and on what to do. God's divine objectivity was asking the Lord to speak to us about his direction for us by giving us scripture. As the Lord brought scripture to mind, ones that we knew and ones that we hadn't memorized yet, we would write them down in our journals. Then as we look back on the things, the, the scriptures that the Lord brought up, as we look back on them, we would see these different themes. As the themes became consistent, that was most likely the direction the Lord was leading us. So Carol and I got together after the six-month period of time and shared what we felt the Lord was speaking to us separately regarding if she could come back as missionaries for another four years after our one-year home assignment. We both got the answer, no. And I was really shocked. I mean, as I was shocked. We were both shocked. I thought, before I thought, this was a no-brainer, a slam dunk. Things were going well. God, are you sure? Things are going well. Are you sure you want us to come back to L.A.? Since it had taken us around eight years to get to Japan, since we first felt the Lord's calling to be missionaries, and since we thought we'd be missionaries until we retire, like 65 or so, we sought the Lord for another two months. This time we asked the Lord something like this. Lord, if this is you, and you really want us to resign as missionaries, please confirm that to us, because we're heading in that direction. During this time of seeking the Lord, the Lord put on my heart this desire to be a pastor. I really wanted to be a full-time pastor. I didn't want to be a pastor before because I thought the call and responsibilities were too much. But he had changed my heart as I pastored our home church. So at the end of two more months of seeking the Lord, the answer was the same. No to another four-year four term, and yes for me to become a pastor. When Carol and I felt like the Lord wanted us to resign as missionaries and for me to become a pastor, um, as you can imagine, we had a lot of concerns. For one, there was no job lined up. So no job, no place to live, no car, no health insurance, no furniture, no specific plans, and a lot of other no's, a lot of other things that we weren't sure about. But somehow we knew that the Lord would provide a job. We we're trusting that God would provide what he was calling me to do in becoming a pastor. We had also seen the Lord provide so many other times before that we were sure that he would provide again this time. Carol suggested to me, um, like, why don't you go back to L.A. like next week and put out your resume and, and meet with churches and find out 
uh, if there's job openings anywhere. But I felt like uh, that wasn't what we're supposed to do, but I really felt like that once, once we set foot back in L.A., which would be still in like another year, um, the Lord would somehow open up a job as a pastor. As the Lord would have it, out of the blue, a few days later, you know, within a week, I think it's like three days later, um, after we had decided to resign, that this was clear, this is what we're going to do, after the eight years were up, we're going to resign, um, a few days later, Pastor Corey gave us a call. Now, back then, car, uh, calls, phone calls were really expensive. It's like a dollar a minute, okay? I think that's expensive. Now, we had slow internet and email uh, via our phone line, but things like Skype and Google Hangout didn't exist, okay? Those things are great. I think they're really great. It seems like you're just talking to a person next in the other room. But as Pastor Corey asked how we were doing, we told him that we felt the Lord was leading us to resign as missionaries after we finished our eighth year and how the Lord had put on my heart to become a pastor. Pastor Corey gave us three options to consider, two of which had to do with being missionaries in another area of Japan. The third option was to become the outreach pastor at Evergreen SGV. As Pastor Corey described the pastoral position, it fit all the things that I felt that the Lord had been teaching me and the things that he had been putting on my heart while we were in Japan. Right then, I wanted to say, okay, I'll take it. But um, we decided to wait and again pray. So we spent another two weeks, Carol and I spent another two weeks uh, seeking the Lord before we talked to Pastor Corey again and said yes. Now, the title of today's message is trusting God in every season of our lives. And what I just shared about was a time we really need to trust God for that particular season. It was a risky, life-changing, life-changing direction time. It was the end of one season and the beginning of another one. But I think today's message could also be titled, Trusting God Every Day of Our Lives. So as I thought about, as I was writing this, I thought, well, What's the word trust mean? Okay, as I looked, as I Googled it, I saw this one definition from the Oxford Dictionary where it said, trust is the firm belief in the reliability, truth, or ability of someone. And so then, if that's trust, what does trust look like? So maybe it's when we can rely on or depend on someone to follow through to do what they said they would do. We see that person as reliable, dependable, true to their word. Okay, for example, uh, as I thought about what does trust look like, I thought about, um, I was reminded of a time when I was in college. In one of my classes, we did this thing called a trust walk. Our class would go out on the campus. We would get in pairs of twos. We would, one person would be blindfolded, and we'd have to walk around the campus at the other person's directions. They would tell us when to stop, when to go, when to turn right or left. They would tell us if there's a step to go up or down. They'd have to direct us to not, you know, fall into a ditch or anything like that or, fall, or go down a, a side of a hill or anything like that. So we had to really trust the person to do that. And then we switched, and the other person had the opportunity to direct, and the other person had the opportunity to listen. I think at one point, maybe at the end of that particular class time, 
uh, on this exercise in trust, our class gathered together, and then they had us do this. We had to take turns, like, standing like this and just falling backwards. And there was people behind us, of course. Okay, we're, we're standing, we'd fall back, and we're trusting that the people behind us would catch us. We're basically putting our safety and our lives in the hands of these people. We're trusting that they would lead us in the right way, in the right direction, and that we wouldn't get hurt. So even though we couldn't see what was ahead of us or behind us, we had to trust that they had our best interests at heart and would guide us accordingly. At the end of that exercise, the people in the class proved themselves to be reliable by their actions. So what about trusting God? So when I think about trusting God, I almost automatically think of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's probably one of the verses that I first learned about and memorized when I became a Christian in college. So Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 again says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. But what, kind, uh, but what does this kind of trust mean? What does this kind of trust look like? So I thought, as I was looking at this passage, I thought, okay, I'm going to Google what's the Hebrew definition of trust. And this is one that, I, that came up that I really like. <clears throat> it said, although not without its cognitive side, the Hebrew word for trust primarily involves an act of the heart and will. When I trust God, I emotionally decide to put my expectations, my hopes, my dreams, my desires, in short, all of my life into the care of the Lord and his provision for me. So according to this definition, trusting is not just knowing something in our minds. It's an act of our heart and our will. It's choosing to move forward with what we believe to be true about someone, and in this case, God. So when I say I'm trusting God, in a sense, it's like saying, Lord, I'm giving you my expectations, my hopes, my dreams, this situation that I'm in. Lord, I'm giving you my life. I'm choosing to give you my life, and I know that you are reliable, true to your word, and you love and care for me. As we try to live out trusting God, there might be times when something that we don't fully or even partially understand happens then what do we do? Hopefully, we turn our trust to who he is, God, and our understanding that he is God and knows best. There might be times when the Lord asks us to do something that we feel totally unqualified to do, but yet, will we trust him and ask for the Holy Spirit's help and then try to step out and try what he's asking us to do? As we live out trusting the Lord, there might also be times we might not see what will happen next. Times when we have to be patient and wait. There might be times when we feel like the Lord is making a mistake or taking too long to answer or to provide. But will we still choose to trust him and follow his lead? Or will we take things into our own hands? In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, we have a, another well-known, popular verse. If someone prayed this for you, you'd probably get very excited and hopeful. And Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare or peace and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. This was a message from God given through the prophet Jeremiah to the people of Judah while they were exiled in Babylon, taken captive by uh, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. When the people heard these words of God's plan for them, I would imagine that they were filled with hope and were greatly encouraged. I mean, like I said before, if we were given these words, I think we would also be very hopeful and encouraged and excited about what God was going to do. But if we were to look at Jeremiah 29 and re read the whole thing, we would see that in Jeremiah 29, that this hope that the people had of returning from captivity from Babylon to their homeland wouldn't happen for another 70 years. 70, not 17, 70. Even if it was 17, 17, that's still a long time. This was 70, 70 years. But was this supposed to be just a waiting time for the 70 years to pass? Was this waiting time just a wasted time before life would begin again for them to, uh, as they return to their homeland? No. Even in the midst of this time of waiting to return to their homeland, God had plans for them to be fulfilled. The Lord reminded me as I was thinking about this of a time of waiting and how it was not a wasted time. At the end of the summer of 1981, as I was on a plane coming from Narita Airport, Tokyo, to L.A., returning from a 10-week summer mission trip to Japan, I, f I felt the Lord tell me that he wanted me to, uh, be, to return to Japan again as a missionary. Upon returning to L.A., I worked my third year with L.A. Unified School District as an elementary, as an elementary school teacher so that I can get my life credential uh, just in case, and then pursue becoming a missionary. Long story short, that same year, I met Carol, my wife-to-be, who also felt called to be a missionary to Japan the year earlier. We both had been praying to meet and then to marry someone with similar vision and the calling to be a missionary to Japan. Before getting married, married, we both quit our jobs, me as a teacher, Carol as a social worker, and then we went to Fuller Seminary to prepare to become missionaries. Two years after we met, we got married and hoped to head to Japan as soon as possible to fulfill what we felt the Lord was calling us to do. So Carol felt called to be a missionary in 1980. I felt called to be a missionary in 1981. We didn't get to Japan again until 1989. At that time of waiting, we might have felt that this, this waiting was wasting time. We weren't in Japan yet, as we had planned. We could have felt, come on, God, what are you doing? What are you waiting for? You called us, we're ready. But looking back, we could see that this waiting time of eight years was not a wasted time. In Jeremiah 20, 29, for the people exiled in Babylon, it wasn't a wasted time either. The Lord had plans for them to fulfill even during that waiting time. They had families to form, three generations at least. But more importantly, it was a time for them to return and renew their relationship with the Lord. He wanted them to pray for their captors and for the city they lived in. God wanted them to call upon him, come to him, pray to him. He wanted them to seek him, 
with all their heart. One commentary put it this way regarding the exile. Exile is not the end existence as God's people, but the beginning of a new phase of relating to God. I'll say that again. Exile is not the end of existence as God's people, but the beginning of a new phase of relating to God. But the beginning of a new phase of relating to God. So even in the waiting, God has his plans and purposes. Looking back, um, Carol and I saw all that the Lord did during that eight-year period of time of waiting as we waited to return, or, yeah, to return to Japan as missionaries. So during that eight years, I'm going to just share some of these things that happened as we waited. We got married. We had two daughters. I was, learn, I was able to learn how a church functions and about being a pastor from Pastor Corey uh, when I was an intern on staff at Evergreen. Carol and I went to seminary and got some training. We learned from the professors, but we also were able to learn from some of the students who were already missionaries. We learned more about and got to experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We grew in the area of worship. We got trained up, helped start up, and did prayer ministry at our church. We got to pray for people on a regular basis. I was able to give some sermons at our church, which helped me um, as I was able to give chapel messages at Kanto Gakuen, the school I taught at in Japan. While I was in seminary, I got a part-time job teaching English as a second language at an adult school. You know, thank God for the multiple subject credential, not just good for elementary school teaching, but also adult school. Um, anyway, so I got this part-time job, and I did this mostly to teach ESL because I wanted to have some income to pay for seminary. But the Lord used this teaching ESL to help me learn how to teach ESL and be prepared, uh, and, he prepared and to prepare me to teach English conversation while I was in Japan. And it's really interesting that when I got to Japan, find out, found out from the school I was at, I'm going to teach English conversation. What's the book? What's the curriculum? It was the same book that we use at the adult school in Van Nuys. I mean, to me, that was the Lord. As a public school teacher, I learned how to play the guitar from another teacher. Since our school didn't always have a music teacher, you know, budget cuts, things like that. It's like every other year we had a music teacher. So I learned from another teacher how to play guitar so that when we didn't have a music teacher, I could help uh, lead music in my class. Learning, to play, learning how to play the guitar helped me to be able to introduce contemporary Christian songs at Kanto Gakuen chapels, again, the school in Japan. Being a teacher helped me learn how to talk in front of people and go get over my shyness and being an introvert. Uh, we got to know more people at we got to know more people at Evergreen also as our church grew, and the Lord gave us opportunities to be faithful and obedient to the big and little things that He asked us to do asked us to do during this eight-year period of time. At the end of those eight years, before we went to Japan as full-time missionaries, we saw how valuable that waiting time was. God had his purposes for that time, to train us, equip us, prepare us. God used that time to help us see how he was with us and how he provides for us. With that experience and with that spiritual history that the Lord had given us during the time of waiting and seeing all that he did, we knew that he would do the same as he went to Japan and in the future as well. 
So how do we go, how do we grow in trusting the Lord? How do we grow in trusting the Lord? What does that look like? Okay, here's some ways that you might try, and I, I wrote this as an acrostic of trust, T-R-U-S-T. So T, taking time to get to know the Lord better. Taking time to get to know the Lord better. I don't know about you, but I grow in trusting someone as I get to know him or her better. So as far as getting to know the Lord, take time daily. So take daily, regular time getting to know the Lord. Set aside time to meet with your best friend, Jesus. If he's not your best friend yet, then do things to make him your best friend. Spend time reading and studying God's word. Through the Bible, we can get to know who God is, his character, what he sounds like, who we are, what he thinks of us, his plans, his purposes, his, his desires, his heart. And you might want to, as you try to read and study the Bible, you might try to find something that can help you do this, like join a branch or fellowship group, study the Bible together with friends, download and go through something like the Bible in One Year app. That's a really great app uh, with Nikki and Pippa Gumbo from Holy Trinity Brompton Church in London. It's, it's a really good app. It's really helpful if you want to do something like that. You can also do something like read Proverbs every day. If you look at Proverbs, there's 31 chapters in Proverbs. So today's the 14th, we'd read Proverbs 14. And then tomorrow's the 15th, read Proverbs 15. You can go through Proverbs. God's wisdom is like, God, I need your wisdom. So you could go through Proverbs 12 times a year. You can worship the Lord through songs, communicate with God, pray, talk, and listen to him. You can pull up two chairs and have a conversation with Jesus. You sit in one and you just talk to Jesus. That's T. Okay, R, remember what God has done for you in the past. As we've seen God work in our lives in the past, we are more able to trust him for the future. So you might want to write or journal your spiritual history of what you've seen the Lord do, how you've seen him work in and through your life, how he's answered prayers. You might also want to make it a habit to thank God at the end of each day, uh, what you've seen him do, thanking God each day, having this attitude of gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 talks about pray without ceasing. Maybe praying without ceasing could be just being able to recognize throughout the day what God is doing, what he's doing, what he's done, and just thank him for those big things and little things. Because I'm convinced this attitude of gratitude, recognizing, having this moment-by-moment -moment time with God will change our hearts. You, understanding that his ways are not our ways, our ways. Understanding that his ways are not our ways. Isaiah 55, 8 to 9 says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Basically, God is God, and we are not. And I don't know if you've seen around, people might have the t-shirt, or they might have a wristband, or a sticker that says, He, capital H, capital E, is greater than little I. He is greater than I. God is God, and we are not. Allow Jesus to be the Lord of each area of our lives. Ask God, ask for God's wisdom. 
Rely on God's strength and help. Remember, too, that we're not alone. Know that God is always with us. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And that we need the Holy Spirit's help to live our lives. We're depending on him. Pray each day for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done in your life. That we would want his will, his way to be done, not ours. Let Jesus be the Lord of every area of of our lives. So that's not just saying Jesus is Lord or Lord, but we really mean that we want him to be Lord of every area of our lives. Okay, S. Seek the Lord wholeheartedly. Seek the Lord wholeheartedly. Grow in loving God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Make God our number one priority. Have no other gods or idols, so not TV, not sports, not family, not jobs, not friends, not hobbies, not education, but that God gets first priority. It's not that these things, other things are bad. It's just putting God as first priority. Confess sin right away so that nothing gets in the way of our relationship with the Lord. Set aside time. Set aside time. Prime time. Prime time to spend with God. Choose to make Jesus your best friend. Have breakfast with him. As you eat, you can do things like read the Bible or just pray, talk to him. KT, take God at his word. I want to share again with you uh, my favorite definition of faith, and it's on these cards. You can get them at the secretary's, uh, secretary's area over there in the lobby. But it says, Faith is my heartfelt inner conviction that God is who he says he is. He does what he says he'll do. He keeps his promises, and I am who he says I am. And because of, and because of who he is, I can trust the Lord with my life. There's one more area that I want to share some thoughts about uh, regarding trusting God, and that's regarding our church transition with Pastor Corey retiring and Pastor Rocky becoming the new senior pastor. And uh, I just really want to say, now first service, I think Pastor Corey was sitting in the back, so it's easier to say. But Corey and Rain, I really love and appreciate both of you so much. I'm going to read this. It's easier to read than this. <laughs> I can't tell you how much me and my family have been blessed and encouraged and felt so loved and cared for by both of you. And Corey, I'm, I'm so glad that I've been able to be on staff. You have been um, a great mentor, and I count it a privilege just to be on staff here. When you meet with other pastors at other churches, you know, like one day retreat, once a year, I think how fortunate we are as staff. We got Corey all the time. Other churches, other pastors got Corey once a year. We get him all the time. And to me, that was a blessing and a privilege. And we're going to miss you when you're uh, retired. But again, I just want to say, I really just love and appreciate both of you so much. Thank you. But after Pastor Corey retires, after Pastor Corey retires, quite honestly, I'm really excited 
for our church. I'm really excited for our church. Because when Pastor Corey, you know, a lot of churches, they go through the checklist of how are they going to find the next senior pastor. But the Holy Spirit spoke to Pastor Corey. And when Pastor Corey said that the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said that Rocky will be the next senior pastor of our church, it made me think, wow, Lord, you really love our church. You really care for our church. You really have plans for our church. I know that ultimately we're trusting the Lord. We're trusting Jesus to be the ultimate shepherd of our church and follow his plans for us. I'm trusting the Lord for our church and for me as one of the pastors here. I'm looking forward to what the Lord is going to do here at Evergreen SGV. I'm looking forward to whatever the Lord has for me in being part of this, trusting him again for the next steps. I hope and pray that we will be a people who grow in trusting the Lord in the risky and ordinary situations, times, and seasons of our lives, that we'll trust the Lord by taking time and getting to know him better. Remembering what God has done for you in the past. Understand that his ways are not our ways. That we'll seek the Lord wholeheartedly and that we'll take God at his word. And because of that trust, may we be a people, God's people, who say to him, Lord, I'm giving you my expectations, my hopes, my dreams, my desires, the situation that I'm in. Lord, I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you my life because I know that you are reliable, true to your word, and you love and care for me. I choose to trust you, my God, with all my life. Okay, please join me in prayer. Lord, I pray that we can live out Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. That we can trust you with all our heart. Lord, that we won't lean on our own understanding. That, Lord, when we don't know, we'll look to you who, who, do, who does know. That we'll be people who acknowledge you, who come to you all the time. We'll recognize your hand working in our lives, through our lives. When, when situations come, we will look to you, God, and ask for help, ask for guidance, ask for peace, ask for comfort. Thank you that you give us your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. And thank you that as we trust you, you will lead us and direct us as a church and as individuals as well. Lord, I pray that we'll be a people, that we'll be a church, that follow you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that will glorify you as a church and through each of our lives. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.